All right. So thank you for listening in to the tip talk. My name is Jaden Sanchez. I've been with Peer Solutions for about two years now. I'm a peer leader, so I go host meetings in my school and teach, you know, some of the younger ones what's going on and bring awareness to some situations and some themes of the month Peer Solutions has. I'm here with JT. Is that okay if I call you that? Please do. Okay. <laughs> I am here with JT the founder of D Squared Homes for the Homeless. So JT, can you give us some introduction and what D Squared is all about? So my, I'll just say my my uh, original name so that people know if they're ever searching for me. So my <laughs> name is Wante Daly um, and I am the founder of D Squared Homes for the Homeless, founded the nonprofit in 2019. Um, pretty much in response to my family's history um, of mental illness and my son's lapse into homelessness. Um, and I really had decided um, that I wanted to bring awareness to both topics, homelessness and mental illness, but mainly mental illness because my son was diagnosed in 2019 with schizophrenia. They said he'd never work again, which I believe, but three years later, he was working full time, had his own apartment, his car, you know, all the things the doctor said he couldn't do, he was actually able to do. So this it really alerted me to the stigma. Um, but six years later, he lapsed into homelessness because of a toxic relationship, not because of his diagnosis. So um, when he ended up living in Kiwanis Park, that opened my eyes to homelessness because I really didn't pay attention to the homeless population before then. And it's really important to me that I say that because I think a lot of people kind of feel the same way I did. You know, they're probably doing drugs or, you know, whatever they did, you know, they probably deserve to be out there. And it was like totally not the case. So my son's experience with homelessness is why I expanded D-squared. So initially, my idea was to assist the SMI population, and that's serious mental illness. So that's people with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, PTSD, that type of thing. Um, those um, that are able to work, which is a lot of the population, when they have a setback, they're not allowed, well, they don't receive the same amount of services. Um, so my son was denied temporary shortage, I'm sorry, temporary shelter over a $40 income shortage. So $40 is the reason he ended up living in the park. Um, so I added um, helping the SMI population, but also helping the homeless population when they receive housing from their case managers, because we don't have housing. It's a goal of ours, but you don't just get a nonprofit and people just throw money at you to start a house. Um, but what I did realize that a lot of people um, that lived in that park, they were working. There's a lot of homeless people out there. Um, and so trying to pay the move-in costs and application fees, you know, they couldn't. So I added paying uh, the move-in costs and application fees to the homeless population when their case managers uh, find housing for them. And the third thing that we have is a hygiene bag program. Um, and so it's 
And when I started it, the program, it was actually led by youth. And so the youth would obtain um, a scholarship and usually it was seniors at the time because it's a lot of work to host a hygiene bag field. So they're collecting donations. You know, they're doing the prep before um, the hygiene bag field. Um, but this year I decided I wanted to change it up and open the scholarship program to youth age 14 through 18. And also wanted to teach them how to invest in their community, like the importance of it. So now youth 14 through 18 actually earn the scholarship by um, volunteering in the community. And then there are some different type of activities that they do. So each activity is worth a set amount of points. And so they have a year to earn those points. And now that's how I um, distribute the scholarships, which I uh, changed the name to the Youth Development Program. So, yep. So that's what we do. I like that you get the youth involved and and that's a really cool way to get them involved. Um, well, I wanted to say too, um, the reason it was important to get the youth involved is because when my son's schizophrenia came out, he probably was having symptoms around like 17 or 18. And so one of the focuses of um, D-Squared when I started it was to teach the youth the signs and symptoms of mental illness because the youth are the first line of defense. You know, you're probably going to see something that the parent wouldn't see because you're spending more time. And luckily my son's best friend actually alerted me to some changes that he saw in my son. So youth are important, but there is another, that's one of the main reasons is I want to educate them on mental health. Yeah. And it's good to, give them that information at more towards like a, of a younger age uh, mm -hmm. to get, to just bring some sort of awareness. Mm -hmm. And I also do agree on, uh, on you saying like, Oh, um, we, we don't really like notice or um, pay attention to the homeless community. And when yeah. I went to um, your website, I, I had such a different opinion. I always used to do that. I was like, oh, they probably got, they probably got there on their own. I don't, they probably did something to, you know, uh -huh. have them in that position. But I have a totally different opinion um, because of you. Um, so that was, well, thank that you. was really, um, really touched me. It, it changed my opinion on the homeless community. What yeah, uh, were... Uh huh. Um, what were the challenges you kind of encountered throughout your journey, uh, trying to like build up D squared or even the challenges you have now? So the first one is finances, because, you know, with a nonprofit, even though you're helping other people, it still takes funding to run it. And homelessness and mental illness is not a, um, it's not on the forefront of people's minds, right? There's so many other things to think about. There's so many other priorities, which you can tell because you see all these people living outside. Um, so when I first started D-Squared, I didn't have the startup funds uh, to launch it. And I wasn't going to pay out of my pocket to do it because I had become debt-free 
Um, once my son was diagnosed with schizophrenia and I realized there was not a, um, there was no cure for it, which I was shocked because I didn't know anything about it. So I realized I had to get out of debt so that I could help him in the future, you know, whatever that would look like. Um, and so I worked uh, three jobs for seven years and I got out of debt in 2015. And I was like, I'm never going back into debt. So to start the nonprofit, I actually started a GoFundMe page. And it was crazy because I got the idea from this lady who was hiking on Superstitions Mountains and her dog got bit by a snake, right? And she raised an incredible amount of money to help pay for her, her dog's eye. I think it was like $18,000, $19,000 or something like that. So I was like, well, surely I can... <laughs> you know, raise some money <laughs> to, you know, to get this started because it's a worthy cause. Um, so I started, I launched my GoFundMe page and I probably raised the funds in about three months. Um, so that was the first challenge was the funding. Um, the next thing is you have to have a board of directors. So you have to have volunteers to work with you and help your mission you can't accomplish it by yourself. But then the other challenge is, well, you can't pay them because you don't have any money. So you have to find people, you know, willing to invest in your vision um, to work with, you know, to work with you and be willing to help you build a program. And so that was the other challenge that I had is I had never uh, run or even worked for a nonprofit before. I mean, I worked for a hospital as a nonprofit, but you know, building something from the ground up is a totally different thing, right? So we had to come up with the programs. Everything that you see and you saw when you came out to our event, we had to create that. Um, so that was a challenge also. So we're doing all these things without the funding. Um, and then just getting people to believe in the mission, because again, mental illness and homelessness is not um, a priority. So even when I started this, I knew it was going to be an uphill climb. Um, so I just figured, well, you know, I started with the mental illness piece. And then I said, well, I might as well add the homeless population because it's a fight either way. So those were the initial um, challenges. Today, the challenges um, are kind of the same, but we're in a better position. So right now, um, we have what I call a gap program and the gap program is where I actually help pay the housing uh, for the mental health challenge when they have a temporary setback. And then the homeless population, when they get into housing, I pay their moving costs and application fees. But at this point, the funding that comes in, because we've been around for a while, this is from like individual donors. So the majority of the funding that I pay the rent with comes from people in the community who knew me. Um, so that that's a big deal because in the beginning people knew me, but you know, most nonprofits don't stick around for, you know, even three years. So people are not really anxious to give you money and, you know, watch their money go down the drain. So um, that's, and then I need to say that as of today, we've helped 57 people and prevented homelessness. Um, for those. So I'm really proud of that because, again, that's not with grants. That's from me working hard. Um, 
One of the other things that we want to focus on is transitional housing. Um, in the beginning, that was my goal. I uh, really worked hard to do that. I had a team. We were um, Our plan was to convert containers into homes, and I actually had people who could do it. Well, then we came up with the issue of funding again. So we could buy the containers, we could convert the containers, but you have to have land to put the containers on. So that um, was a challenge. And now a new challenge with my youth development program is getting into schools, you know, and things like that, because you have to, like, basically I have to sell myself and I have to sell my program, but I also work full time. And then I'm not around a lot of uh, youth because my kids are 35 and 28. So it's like just, you know, figuring everything out, you know, on your own. And then I also work a full-time job as well. So those are those are a lot of the challenges, um, especially the housing right now. We just um, launched a new transitional housing uh, team, actually effective January 1st. So we are going to start working towards that again. And that's going to be, you know, raising a lot of money. It's a lot of funding that needs to come in to actually have a house and develop a program. Because once you buy the house, you have to be able to pay that house and maintain the services and have people that work there. So um, I think it's always around funding. Um, and then the other challenge, um, and this one I should have said first, there are certain type of positions you need on your board of directors to help. So um, like marketing. So I don't have that skill set. So I need somebody like a marketing director. I needed a fundraising director. So you need certain people with specific skill sets so that they can help propel the nonprofit forward. And again, trying to find these type of people with the skills, very difficult. So that's a that's a big deal because even the marketing is important right now because now that we want to focus on transitional housing, we need to get that out to the public um, so that we can receive donations and things like that. So those are some of the challenges. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there are a lot of challenges, um, but you you made your goal and um, of that GoFundMe. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, achieving your goal and and I'm pretty sure you'll overcome the challenges. Um, and wow, it's it's really fascinating to see. And you and you have a full time job along with this nonprofit, so that is it's just incredible. Um, what are some of the challenges or maybe problems that you see in the community that you think that need to be addressed? Well, um, my gap prevention of homelessness program, that the reason I created it is because what happens is when people are living, you know, in apartments, in homes, and when they have that setback, there's no help in the community. So, you know, like even with my son, his situation, he lost his housing. Um, it wasn't his fault. Um, he only needed temporary assistance. Um, temporary shelter to get back on his feet. Well, oh, but you got to make this amount of money. You need to have, you need to be homeless for even a period of time before you receive help at all, right? Because the waiting list is really long. So in the community, 
I feel like when people have a temporary setback, we need to help them where they are so that they can continue to work and contribute to society. Because once somebody hits that homeless, um, once they get to that point and they lose hope, then it's kind of hard to pull them out of the homelessness. So I feel like we need to help them before they lose everything they have. Because what you see now is a result of COVID, right? A lot of families have lost their jobs, no fault of their own, right? And there's not enough housing to help. So now you have families living outside. And this is not sustainable. When you have a lot of people living outside, they can't get help, they don't have food. You know, to me, that's a, that's a huge problem because desperate people do desperate things. So that's the big thing that I see. We need to help them before they become homeless to, you know, prevent it. I like that. Helping, helping before or to prevent it, you know, I think it's, I think nobody realizes or nobody sees it. And then when people finally have no other, you know, opportunities Mm -hmm. and they finally become homeless, we now complain about it. We now notice it. And instead of doing that, we should, like you said, be like taking action and because if we don't take action then we're gonna basically blame ourselves that's what we're doing we're we're just seeing letting it happen and then we're just complaining about it when they become homeless and yes I think that's something we we need to work on and and I'm definitely going to uh another hygiene fill event so you got one of those. <laughs> yeah, February 4th. Um, one of the other things, though, um, because even though I'm an advocate for the mental health challenge and the homeless population, you know, on the other side of that, I can see like the business owners and, you know, the families where you have like all this trash and, you know, things in front of your property. So that's like a main issue. Um, and why a lot of people are angry, because I know yesterday um, when I was driving around, because I always keep hygiene bags in my car. I share them with other nonprofits, but I also keep some in my car. You know, and when I'm driving down like Price Road, I can see all the trash on the ground. And um, probably like two weeks ago, I did a podcast. I'm at this place of business. And he said, that, you know, it's downtown Chandler, which is just beautiful. But then you can see syringes, you know, in front of his, you know, shop and you have trash. So I also see the other side of it. So we do need to help the homeless. But I also feel for the business owners, you know, because their businesses are impacted by what's happening in the community. So I think that, you know, when we help the homeless, we're helping society as a whole, because that's another thing, you know, that's a problem. You know, you don't want to lose business your business because people are afraid to come, you know, to your shop. So it's something I noticed uh, yesterday when I was out, you know, it's a lot of trash out there and, you know, where are you going to put the trash, you know, when you're homeless? So I don't know. That's, that's such a connection. I've never, I never really thought about that at all. Actually, I've never kind of made that connection, but that's something new. I've never really You know, I didn't think make any of these connections until my son was homeless. You know what I mean? So until it's somebody, you know, and you're actually, you know, out there with them, because really we're not any of us are having conversations with people in the homeless community. 
right? Not intentional, not unless you're like a nonprofit going out there. So my son's situation is what taught me so much, you know, about it. And then I think, I don't think I had it when you came to our bag field, but you know, the, um, the sleeping mats that we crochet out of plastic bags. I mean, even just never thought about that. And then I'm out there and I'm seeing these homeless people like sleep on the ground and sleep on the Ramadas and the park, you know, and it's so uncomfortable. So like, that's the other reason that we do that. So, you know, as I learn, you know, more about the homeless community, you know, I try to help, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my goal is always um, to try to help with housing because it's really not enough to give someone a bag. Like I receive calls every day from people who need housing and I can't do anything about that. And, you know, so that's one of our goals up and coming. Hey, I think, I think you'll reach that goal. And I, I do think that I, in a lot of situations about a family member or maybe you ex yourself experiencing it um, before or before you used to kind of notice it or mm -hmm. somebody else or going through it and you actually see what's what's happening what's what's going on here and you see behind the curtains and you're like oh okay maybe I should um, look at the awareness that people bring around it and kind of notice what's going on in the community. So, well, yeah. I did ask. Um, and that was the thing when my son lived in the park because he was there for a year. So I just started asking people how they became homeless. So the difference between me and, you know, a lot of other people is like I'm very inquisitive. And actually, as you can probably tell, I'm a talker. But I like love asking people questions because I don't like to assume. And the average person um, that became homeless, it was really because they lost housing and there was no help. I mean, I, I met a mom and her daughter was 18. They became homeless because the father died. So they're a widow. They're living in the park and the daughter's getting up, catching a bus to school. Like she lives in the house, but she lives in that park. You know, and then I met other people that worked, lost the roommate, then could not afford the housing by himself, right? So then once you get out, the cost of living is so high and you're on a fixed income, you don't make them enough money to pay, you know, three times the rent. So, you know, and that was back in 2019. And now it's even worse. Like I see whole families that are um, becoming homeless because the rent, the rental increase that just happened last, last year, where it jumped six, $700. I know a couple of people that that happened to. So again, you have working people that become homeless because who can afford to pay a rental increase of $600 at one time? So just talking to people and asking questions is what changed my view because I also had that same stigma, but it's just so much to know and so much we take for granted. Yeah, I I see that. I see that. I, um, I've also really noticed people saying go get a job what are you what are you doing like you, uh -huh. you go get a job or um find something to do uh -huh. but they really don't have the resources to do that or they don't have and, and a lot of businesses may may see the homeless community as 
no, I'm not going to get any business from, from that person working here. So it's a lot of judgmental factors in that or seeing from the outside. It is. And you know what? I used to think the same way. Why don't you just get a job? And then when my son was out there, I realized why you just can't get a job. Because first of all, how are you going to clean your clothes? How are you going to take a shower? Like things I never even thought of. I was just like, oh, just get a job. And then you have the gap in your resume, right? So he was homeless for a while. So then when he you know, started looking for a job, then you have this gap and then people don't want to hire you with that gap in your resume. And then you don't really want to tell them you were homeless. So, you know, I, that was the thing that I just, you know, stopped. Like after about three weeks, I didn't even ask him to try to find a job because I'm looking at the situation, you know, and my son, thankfully he had me. So I would pick him up and bring him home, you know, to my house in the weekend. Like I wash his clothes and things like that. But all these other people, when you look at them, like they don't have, you know, can't comb their hair. They don't have clean clothes. So who's really going to hire you when you have those type of challenges? You know, because we're a community, you know, we judge people, a society of judgment. So the only people that's really going to hire you is someone that understands what you're going through. And it does happen because there are um, a couple of nonprofits that I know of that help people, you know, help the homeless and they'll like give them some jobs to do. But that's not, you know, that's not the majority. It's very, very rare. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I see, I actually see a lot more people going out into the homeless community and, and giving them resources. So that's, mm -hmm. it's quite a change I'm, I'm, I'm seeing. So, uh -huh. yes. Yeah. So. How, so in Peer Solutions, we have this uh, kind of like a motto, uh, S-E-R to end O-S-N. So S-E-R uh, is meaning safety, equity, and respect. And O-S-N is oppression, silence, and normalized harm. So what is um, some ways or how do you normalize safety, equity, and respect in your community or workspace? How do you kind of normalize SER? Well, um, the safety piece came from um, like going in groups. So when you came to the bag fill, all we did was fill the bags and then we deliver those bags to other nonprofits. But prior to that, we actually delivered them and in, directly into the community, um, into the parks and things like that. So um, and one of the places we went to a lot was um, a park in Mesa that's known for drug addicts and things like that. I can't remember the name of it. Um, so what we would do is we would um, definitely go in groups. And even though it was youth, you know, we had men with us and we would go around and um, also go with other nonprofits, you know, for the safety. But now it's an issue with a lot of um, fentanyl. So there's like a lot of like additional, more drug use than normal. And so that's the reason why we are in the park that we're at now at Foley, because you don't really see homeless people there. So the other parks, we were, we always went to a park where there were a lot of homeless people because we want to help them and give them clothes and things like that. 
But now for the safety, we cannot, you know, do that because even though I am from South Central LA, <laughs> so I'm used to, I'm from the hood, you know, it's, it's not just about me. It's about, you know, the safety of everybody with me. So even if I'm comfortable doing something, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, that I want to put other people at risk. And in addition, um, at that park, or oh, it was Pioneer Park, they also started fining us $1,000. So the last time I went there to do a backfield, they said that if we gave the homeless population anything, they would fine me $1,000. So you can't give them anything, help them, like that kind of thing. Um, I think with um, kind of like the oppression and things like that, it's really difficult to address those type of um, issues because I do work a full-time job. So I'm not actually in the homeless community other than when we have the bag fields. So a lot of the other things I don't um, really have experience in, except when my son was um, homeless. So I was with him when, you know, we would try to go and get like a cell phone and I saw how people treated him, you know, people don't want to, and this is just like places of business, you know, they don't want to serve you. Um, and I'll never forget, we were at um, DES um, getting one of those, uh, trying to get one of the free phones um, and went next door to, I think it was the unemployment office or something. And there was this man that came in, He's a, he was a veteran and I am too, so I really felt for him. But he was of the age that he'd never used a computer before. So he comes in and she says, oh, just go over there, you know, use the computer and you can fill out the application online. So he didn't say anything at first. He went and sat down and tried to figure it out and came back. And um, he was like, well, ma'am, you know, I've never used a computer before. And so it's like she didn't want to help him. So, you know, when I'm out there, and when I was with my son, I've seen the way, you know, that they treat you just because you may look homeless. And that really bothered me. So, you know, I, I don't deal with, I don't see a lot of it. I don't experience a lot of it, but just um, through people I've helped and I hear their experience, that's how I know, you know, even more how bad it really is. Cause you know, they're making you feel like less than human. And, you know, that just really bothers me. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, I think it's just judgmental. It's, yes. it's people yeah. just saying, you, that's you and this is me. And, and I'm better I, than you. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I have the this much money or it's not even about money it's about maybe lifestyle or having a job or or it's could be so many different things yeah but, but you know but the main thing is some people have more opportunity than other just based on how they look so that's just the thing too like when you're saying the judgment it's a big it's a big deal so you know you can look at a person and then you're going to judge you know just going to decide every you know everything about them just based on their appearance and no that's not the case yeah well thank you for for that um now i have 
One last question before we end off this podcast. How did you come up with the name D squared? (laughs) So my son's first and last initials. um, So I won't say his name because it's the anonymity. But because I thought I was a smarty pants, I wanted to use like the exponent. It is like a lot of people nowadays don't know what an exponent is. So I feel so old. But, you know, it's like the D2, but it's my son's initials. And okay. then just, yeah, so that's, and then the homes for the homeless is because I wanted housing. Um, I have considered honestly changing the name because I don't have housing yet, but because we're in such a crisis, I get calls for housing all the time. So you know, we may have a name change, but again, we also have a transitional housing team now where we're working on it. So you know, I'll see how that goes, but there may be a name change in the future. Well, that's that was creative. <laughs> I was wondering. I was wondering how D squared. Where did that come from? <laughs> I thought it was creative, but again, people are like they don't know what an exponent is. I'm like, well, what are they teaching in college nowadays? I don't know. <laughs> that's all I had to. I mean, we exponents just in my math class is like, oh my god, I'm never gonna get this. But yeah. uh, well. Thank you so much for joining me and giving some uh, insight on D squared. I will definitely be checking out your website more. And I did follow on social media. Okay, <laughs> Thank you. And we I did post our next um, bag fill, which is February 4th at the same park. So we're always at that park now because there are not very many homeless people there which is sad because the whole point of the hygiene is to be able to give it to them right away. But, you know, at least we can um, share with other organizations that have um, homeless outreach. So we do give a lot of our bags to Andre House and Paz de Cristo, um, a couple of uh, nonprofits over here. So just all over the valley. So at least we can do that, you know, and share that way. Yeah, that's a great way to get those bags out and and it's also great that you um you have one in your car oh I have a lot in my car (laughs) and you know what I do is because in Phoenix um because we go out there like every other month because there's a lot of homeless community out there because that's the human service campus so if you don't know about them look up the human service campus there's a lot of nonprofits there and so you will see probably like 1,100 people living outside around that area. But over here in our area, and then they're around the resources. Um, So they can get showers, they can get food. But over here on our side, you don't have that one big place where, you know, the homeless people um, are, you know, one area. So that's um, one of the reasons we go out in that direction. But that's also the reason I keep them in my car because there's no place, like I live in Chandler, so there's no like one place like that where you have all these resources together. So I just hand them out, you know, outside my window of my car when I see them, um, because not everybody lives close to resources. Yeah, that's that's a great way. I've never I there's so many things that I've never heard of that you are just not telling me. And I'm going to keep those things in mind. OK, keep them all in mind and and just remember just remember 
You know, um, and I know we're about out of time, but I need to ask you this because this is something that I've started doing um, that I found out. So there are like um, schools where there are homeless students. So we actually started sharing our bags with schools. So if you know of any schools that have homeless students, we can donate and drop off our bags uh, to those schools as well. So because that's we've started doing that. It's also because there are homeless students. Yeah, that's yep. That's nice. Thank you for thank you for doing all of this for for um, noticing the homeless community and yeah and it's it's great it's great what you guys are doing. All right. Well, thank you for inviting me to your podcast and getting our name out there because that is important. You know everything that we um, everything you know that I want to do, especially when you're a small nonprofit you can't get your own information out there. You know, people have to give you that space. So I appreciate the time there. I also have to send you guys some flyers for my youth program. So I have to mail those to you. And um, I look forward to seeing you at the next bag fill. Yes, I will be there. And if you uh, listening want to um, do the next bag fill, it's February 4th, correct? Yep, at 10 o'clock. Foley Memorial Park at 601 East Fry Road in Chandler. All right. And you can also donate on the website. You can access the youth development program and more. You can also see some events such as the hygiene bag fill and drop in community, um, community, drop in the community events. And if you are in interested in becoming a sponsor for d squared make sure okay. to check that out on their website and you can also the website find- you gotta get the website because we got less than a minute so it's d squared <laughs> the number four homeless.org so d squared the number four homeless.org all right <laughs>